Welcome back to another episode of the Uptime Punks. Um, today we're speaking about Ironman training. So um, we just t- t- Tim, Tim was just asking me about um, swimming techniques and um, speedos. Speedos, yeah. So um, speedos were really speedo. faster, Paul. <laughs> so, um, basically, basically, um, what's quite fascinating in the UK, you have the London City Airport. So for people that have been to London, and behind the London City Airport is a massive um, artificial dock, and that it's dock now. And it's full of like God knows what from the 1800s. Yes, so. and it's also full of people like myself who look for a long distance place that can go swim, so they don't need to take the little turns like Tim was talking about. And this is the only place you can get like a three kilometer swim in in one shot. Um, <laughs> in between, you and do heavy get metal touched. poisoning. Yeah, in between, <laughs> in between, you do get touched by different objects, um, which you can, of course, not identify because even when you wear goggles, you cannot see further than even your elbow because you can't even see your hand. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, further than this, um, there's bodies in there that. <laughs> the Queen Victoria put in there, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, so um, I'm sure we're going to be talking a little bit more about cycling. Sorry for everybody who's listening to this podcast. Um, it is tech related. So, um, would you want to give us? Well, uh, would you want to give us the software model of your Wahoo Turbo Trainer in the back, Patrick? Uh, well, uh, yeah. So the trainer, <laughs> yeah, that's my Wahoo kicker. Uh, I just upgraded the firmware, so whatever the latest one is. But I use Zwift. Oh, you're Swift. What level are you on Swift? Uh, 27 as of today. So, okay. so yeah, I have... feel like I'm just a neophyte. <laughs> do, you, do you have the, uh, the drone bike yet? Um, I, you know, I try to match up what gear I have. So I have a giant, uh, I have a giant road bike. So I try to match up. I know it's stupid, right? Like I try to match up exactly what I wear, like in real life and, <laughs> and my actual bike. And I'm like... I'm an idiot. <laughs> I should be like riding around with like neon pink and like mohawk yeah. and because yeah. that's kind of how I want to ride anyway, but I don't, you know, I'm like, I have to be traditional, but yeah, um, my, my kid out is pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's the same for me. So I'm a rougher member. Um, and so of course I have my rougher RCC club gear on, on my rides on Swift. And then when I do the triathlon rides, I put the triathlon gear on and I have different bike models and all of these things. It might sound really boring for everybody out there, Tim, but a lot <laughs> of our followers are also cyclists because I had another guy on yesterday who um, he did an Everesting attempt a couple of weeks ago. Oh, on, on, Swift, a bike? on Swift? On a bike? <laughs> like with, yeah. the same, with the same inclination. and uh, Well, really? Yeah, so um, yeah. it's it's still that's still on my bucket list as well. Um, Come on, how how do you do that? Because you can't possibly ride up the Everest. No, so basically the Everesting attempt, the the, the formula behind it is that you do the eight thousand eight hundred thirty eight meters, whatever Everest is. Um, it's growing or shrinking by an inch a year, um, and you do that right in one consecutive seating on one hill. So mm-hmm. on Swift, you do this, for example, there's the um, Tour de, what's it called? Alpe de Swift? Alpe de Swift, I think that's the name of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you do this one just up, down, up, down. And the trick is while the bike is going down, you can get off and go to the toilet and get a rest. And then you jump back on it when it reaches the bottom, which gives you about six minutes, I think. Yeah, but and that means you choose really? your own gradient, right? So you choose the gradient you have whilst you do this 8,000. Yeah, what's the hill? The, the main thing is that you, the objective no, it'll is... it'll do it for you. 
Yeah, it'll tell you. It'll it'll say it's a fifteen percent gradient, and it'll make it that hard to pedal. <laughs> but but on it's, the Everest, there are gradients of like a hundred percent where it just goes like. No 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 no. It's not that you're cycling up Everest. The idea behind it is that you do the same. The same um, altitude you do. Same altitude, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. thousand feet. Like yeah, 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 yeah. They give you like a certain gradient. Okay, yeah. Because if yeah. you yeah. customize that, you take like a gradient of I don't know ten percent, and then you just like cycle for hours ten percent until you reach the eight thousand. Well, you know, if you're really extreme, Tim, you you could just put <laughs> a, a plastic bag over your head and get hypoxia, and then you really feel the Everest experience, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. that's that, you know you're that's not real until you do that. Oh, okay. Um, anyways, um, should we start with the podcast? Patrick, um, hi. hi. <laughs> don't, don't try this at home, folks. Yeah. Just like yeah, this, disclaimer um, here: don't try this at home. Okay. Yeah, um, this was never not thought I ever going to say that on this podcast. But yeah, so, Patrick. <laughs> so, so, so Patrick Ma Patrick McFadden is that the right way to say it? McFadden. Adin, McFadden. Yeah, whatever. McFadden. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you work for DataStacks. So DataStacks doesn't do anything with Swift, but maybe you can tell us a bit about DataStacks. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe. DataStacks? I, you know, I I'd have to. Go, I'm gonna have to go look. <laughs> I mean, that'd be really cool. So what's the use case of data stacks in uh, in uh, in, uh, in in you know training and sports performance? Yeah, no, we do have a lot of customers that do work, do work in like IoT. So that's kind of an IoT thing. So yeah, data stacks. We're a database company. That's um, we work on. Are primarily it's Apache Cassandra. So <laughs> Apache Cassandra is an awesome database for those exact kind of workloads when you're climbing Mount Everest and you need a database that won't fail. <laughs> Pick data stacks. <laughs> I, I think okay, so we got that out of the way. So. Yeah, that was great. I was like, I, I'm actually going to go tell my marketing department I have next year's quarter, a uh, next quarter's campaign locked. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Okay, um, favorite gadget. What is your favorite gadget that you have discovered during the lockdown period in 2021? It's well, apart from apart from the machine standing behind it, because yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the thing that actually got me through the pandemic with, and I actually lost weight in the pandemic, which is crazy. Um, no, I think the thing. Well, if if I could, I'm going to just go a little out of the boundaries because that's how I roll. Um, I'm going to say um, home automation. I during the pandemic, I got a little crazy with my home automation. <laughs> So I use Home Assistant, you know, open source uh, home home control module. That on Kubernetes, right? You you you. Yeah, I ran it. I run it on Kubernetes, <laughs> and so I'm using like uh, all these different, just complete overkill, right? It's like uh, I'm using Pulsar and MQTT and all these things to make sure my lights go on. Yeah, you should meet. Uh, but but you know you can. <laughs> but you know you can just have Philips Hue smart lights, right? I mean, oh, I have those, but I hacked all of them. <laughs> so I got into this mode where I started hacking my own firmware. So Tasmoda is this is this open source project where you, you can take these great like devices and you know that are perfectly fine and take them apart and make them your own. It's great. You just get all this. Uh, I mean, my wife freaked out when I was tearing apart light switches and things. She's like, did you just pay fifty dollars for that? I'm like, yes, <laughs> and it's mine. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> yeah, so that was did, my favorite gadget. Did you connect? Now here comes the question: Did you mm. connect your turbo trainer to your lights? 
So when you get into zone one, zone two, zone three, Paul. on the turbo trainer, I do the light be... colors change. Yeah, and then at some point the you have a stroboscope light coming up when you're like in the danger zone, right? You when you're not Everest, just there on top, it goes absolutely brutally red. I know this is a podcast, but I'm going to show you because we're on video. Do you see this fan? Yes. Whenever, whenever I start my workout, it automatically starts the fan. See. And then whenever I get like a certain level, it'll speed up the fan. So it's simulating. So yeah, I'm not kidding you, dude. This is that stupid. <laughs> it's, it's it's the real thing. It's the real thing. <laughs> yes, okay. So um, so for our listeners to sort of figure out your, let's say, year um, of age, um, what was your first phone? What was your first computer? Oh my god! You don't. Yeah, no, this is age me seriously, man. My first <laughs> phone was uh, was a Motorola StarTac. Um, that was back in the day. Uh, my first computer was an Atari 400. Okay. And what did you do with it? Did you also take it apart? <laughs> I, I did actually, I, I upgraded the Ram manually. Uh, this is in 1979. <laughs> so, my, and my, my, my dad thought I was crazy. Um, but I, and, uh, this is a funny story, but I actually got into pig farming so I could buy this computer. Cause my dad was like, these are a fad. Why would anyone buy a computer? So I started doing pig farming so I could raise money to buy a computer. Cause it was $500 to buy an Atari 400 with 16 K memory and a cassette drive. So you could save all your stuff. And I knew that. And so I did this whole operation. So, um, but I soon found out that 16, or I found out that 16K was not enough. I needed 48K, and the only way I could really upgrade it was to buy the parts and then like solder them together myself. So I had it didn't do so well with that, and I had a friend's dad kind of help me with some of it. But yeah, that's how I upgraded my. What, 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 what do you mean with pig farming? It's like pig pig, like yeah, like like oink, yeah, like slime, like oink, oink, like uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, right, I grew up in the, got I grew up in the mountains. <laughs> That's really cool. Well, <laughs> what did you need the 48K for? Well, because um, I was trying to write games and I was using basic and not assembly language at the time. And it just is, a you know, it, this is like the story of my life. There's never enough. So That's why you joined Datastack, because it's like, it's never enough. Yeah. It's, yeah. I want it, infinite scaling. Can I get that now? Because I feel like I, I've been doing this okay. my entire life. <laughs> well, is, is, is that what got you into the industry? The picks? The gaming? No, yeah, they, they, <laughs> it was pigs were like a, a way to get there. That's a way to make money fast. And well, for my part of the world, it was. <laughs> but yeah, no, it got me into this. I was what, uh, 13? Yeah, I was, yeah wow. I was a young kid. I was 11 or 12 when I first started doing it. And then 13, when I really started getting into it, I thought I was going to be a game writer. That was wow. the only thing. I was going to be a video game writer in 1981. Um, what was your vision of the video game that you wanted to do? Was it like, you must have had like a storyline in your head. Like, you oh, I did. Like I did. My, the game that I was trying to write was a Garfield, you know, Garfield the cat. Yeah, the lasagna. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. With the lasagna. Yeah, he was going to chase after <laughs> lasagna. So it was like a quest game, <laughs> so like great. a long like Atari adventure, except with uh, Garfield the cat. And he was yeah. going to go funny. after lasagna. <laughs> Did you get the licensing from 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 uh, who is Garfield? Uh, who's is that not a protected brand? Yeah, it is. Um, I I actually wrote a letter to United <laughs> Artists, who nice. is the uh, copyright holder, yeah. and they said we would love to look at it once you have no. a working version. 
So, so they, cool. I mean, there you go. Do it. Day, right? you try that. It. Try that with Disney. No, uh, today. No, no. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Not cool. Sorry. Cut yeah, no. Um, <laughs> so, I'm gonna make an Iron Man game and then ask for forgiveness. That's the way to do it. I think that's the way yeah, how to do cool. it. Um. Yeah. So, <laughs> is that what got you in the industry? The passion for games. It was, yeah. I, I, I just thought computing was pretty well. You know, it was because I was a kid that grew up during the space, like the early space race you know and it, that was what inspired me i wanted to be like i thought computers were really cool as a part of the space race and then i just got into the computing part of it and it was, i just thought it was really fascinating and you know like most nerd kids in the 80s you just get kind of it turns into your culture and your mm -hmm. lifestyle um and yeah that was a really fun time to be in computing because it was so new yeah and also um i believe you're a decorated war hero um, <laughs> <laughs> so um I remember I my notes, Donkey Kong satellites. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, we, that story. Um, should we speak about the, well, what happened or what you can tell us about it? Because, hey, first of all, thanks for your service to your country. Uh, it's oh, a great yeah. thing. Uh, but, <laughs> and Donkey uh, Kong. <laughs> yeah, and Donkey Kong. But let's speak about the service you have done. Because um, I yeah. remember it was some, some crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, but maybe you can share some... So I'll try to make it a short story that because it's like it could be a really long story. Like that's when anyone of your listeners wants to meet me for a beer, you'll get the full story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the, the short story is, yeah. So uh, part of my uh, great escape of getting out of a small poor town was joining the U.S. Navy. <laughs> so I did that and I found myself on a destroyer sitting off of Libya. <laughs> and uh, that was, uh, well, that was a big change from pig farming. Um, not exactly the career move I wanted to make, but I w we were in a situation where um, we were going to be, <laughs> we were going to kind of go along the coastline of Libya to kind of poke the bear a bit. And we were going to be out of range of any communication. And the, and, the ca and I worked on digital communications. I worked on um, this system called Link 11, which so what, was basically what was your, what like was the first your, internet. What was your specialization and what was your title? I was a data system specialist, so I worked on computers on the ship, but I also worked on digital communications, which was really cool. It was it was literally like a battlefield internet. Like we mm -hmm. used packet, uh, packet um, technology, packet uh, shape, packet um, transfer technology that was kind of early days of the internet, and it was kind of almost like TCP/IP, mm -hmm. but it was between ships and. But you, we were using UHF radios, which meant that if you went over the horizon no more radio and so uh we were a little worried because we were going to be out there by ourselves and then the captain of my ship came and talked to me and he's like is there anything we could do and i'm like oh, i don't think so and then i'm like wait a minute i wonder if we could bounce that off a satellite so and no one had ever done this before so i was like i a friend of mine and i we rigged up a bunch of patch cables soldered them all together got it all working and um we called uh the seventh fleet headquarters in guide italy and we're saying we're gonna do this and they're like why because we we don't want to be out here by ourselves. We want our internet connection, yeah. And you know, because that's like everyone's mantra, and it freaking worked. Um, and everyone was like totally shocked. They're like, "Why is this working?" Well, we spent the time. We made it work. We hacked. We basically hacked this like multi-billion-dollar warship into doing what we wanted it to do, and stole time off of satellites that no one knew we were doing. And then when it finally worked, everyone was like, "That was great." And then, uh, yeah, like a couple months later, I, I got a Navy commendation medal for it. <laughs> and I was so, like, oh. So you actually, you actually, you actually, you actually invented a new combat technology, right? Or in a, in a wider sense. I maybe I, I was, I definitely, I knew 
the reason I got the medal is because no one had ever done it before, but I'm sure there's some defense contractor out there. I was like, we do this all the time, but I, it didn't matter to me. It was just a, a fun yeah. project, you know? And I think that's yeah. anyone who's got a hacker mentality. You're like, Oh, I'm not doing this for the glory. I'm doing this because it, no one's done it before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Your yeah. personal Everest, right? Just Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so, there was no Donkey Kong, Paul. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know, but I, yeah, I, but the Donkey Kong philosophy comes from one, um, you know, how Donkey Kong on the Mario Kart throws the bananas around and you were sort of throwing the signal around between the satellites. That's where the Donkey Kong. Yeah. Well, I, it was, comes from. Yeah, I, I remember when we talked about this before, there was this time like in the military where there was all these kids that were growing up with like Ataris at home and home <laughs> computers, and they just showed up in the military where no one had that experience before. Mm -hmm. And we, we all wanted the Donkey Kong. We're like, oh, yeah, we're going to look at these consoles. It's like playing a video game, you know, <laughs> let's play real warfare. And <laughs> it was really, I mean, I think it changed the, the military because everything turned into a video game at that point. <laughs> I, I mean, if you look at drones, the way drones are being operated by any military around the world, it's like a um, flight simulator 2010 yeah. when we used to sit on our computers at home and just have a joystick and basically fly that machine on the screen. And you know what's funny about that is, is that they actually changed the, the handles of the drone to actual, I, I don't know if it's PlayStation. Like an Xbox controller. Yes. An Xbox, they actually changed because the drone pilot said it's more uh, handy. It's just more handy. And so they decided, okay, we're going to replace them all by Xbox controllers. And I guess Xbox got, yeah, quite a good contract out of that. But their game for that is like whenever I play online play, I'm actually playing real. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, well, maybe some people board. even. The warification Somebody, of games. Now we have the gamification of war in it. Uh, so, yeah. So, so. so over to our next point. Um, for all the dummies out there, what is open source? What is open source? Oh, my, What is open my source to you? Um, what is open source to me? Yeah, open source is, is the concept of free is in freedom and free is in beer when it comes to software and technology. So the, the free is in beer, everyone loves, right? It's like, I don't have to pay for this. There's no license that encumbers me that I don't have to talk to a salesperson to use this. The free is in freedom, which I think is way more interesting. And this is actually how I got involved in open source is the idea that, you know, I can do what I, what I want with it. And then if I need to modify it, which I'm, I probably will at some point, you know, like that was my initial thing with open source was working with the Linux kernel. Like this doesn't work for me. I'm going to change it. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know that freedom of being able to make those changes, but then, you know, I think the downstream of open source, the the really cool part of the community part of open source is that we're doing this together and we share, and mm -hmm. and that is the best part of open source is whenever you know, this group of really qualified nerds figure out how to work together and build some pretty cool shit. Okay, and to build pretty cool shit you need kubernetes or how does that work <laughs> <laughs> what kind of segue is that <laughs> well it's, i think that's where oh, we're what at is now. kubernetes <laughs> uh, seriously like for people that don't know anything about this open source kubernetes all of these things what is kubernetes uh kubernetes is is a tool that lets us like make a lot it's an orchestration tool first uh, that's probably the best way to explain it but it, it's this really interesting tool that lets us combine things together in a in a useful package so you know when we're building large infrastructure um if we're building the next netflix if we're building the next TikTok, whatever um it takes a lot of parts and you don't want to just 
slap together those parts and not know how they're going to interoperate. And we've gotten to this point where, you know, the way we deploy applications and at large scale, like what's going to take a Netflix to run, um, it, it's it should not be art anymore. It should be science. And Kubernetes is is making that a science. It's like, oh, I need to deploy something that's going to be usable for millions and millions of people online every day. Mm -hmm. Okay, we can do that. So what do you mean by art and science? How they are opposed? Like, because you, you you just made the distinction. Uh, some would say it's, 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 it's uh, I, science becomes more of an art nowadays. Sorry for well, the philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a philosophical moment there, Tim. Um, <laughs> the, the art, because when, and I, I was involved in early days of internet, like 98, 99, like the dot-com era, you know, and we were scaling for tens of users. It was amazing. Um, and it wasn't really, a, that was not something that anyone had really done at that point. But in the early 2000s was where it really, it kind of went off the handle. <laughs> and so we just couldn't handle all of the scale. And so it took small groups of people making it up as we went along. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, there was a lot of art in there. And that's where you start, saw like things like NoSQL happen, um, Hadoop, you know, like large scale data analytics. Um, virtualization, cloud, all these things started happening in there because we were all trying to figure it out. And it was, and art is, you know, just like a, a very, I think a good formal definition of art in technology is a one-off. It's something that you built that is beautiful and it's one yeah. time but you and you walk away it. from it and you look at it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then you want to make it bigger and say, ah, oh, shit, I need to start all over again. Yeah, that's and then yeah, and then and then maybe some of those people that had built the last one go and build the second one, and yeah. it's, it's again, it's a it's a wonderful work of art, which you know that that doesn't scale at all. Okay, okay, <laughs> yeah, I got it. Oh, yeah, so scalability is the, the the distinguishing factor, right? Well, in human scaling, um, yeah. I mean, I it was funny. I was at a conference in two thousand and nine. It was a velocity conference, and we were all kind of joking. It's like, wait a minute, we're all here. Who's running the internet? <laughs> because it's like there's just this core group of people that know how to do this at scale and they're all here this is not good we someone should think this through next time yeah um, the internet yeah well i mean one bomb and then the and two weeks later facebook would have been offline <laughs> that's the thing, well, right? but you know what it's like in some uh, well in some big corporations um board members are not allowed to fly to get on the same airplane uh, there's some travel policies around the globe yeah, yeah. particularly for that reason so um, so no not just because uh, i i let you but uh, in terms of who's running the internet so equinix right is one of the oh, yeah. customers <laughs> right so 90 percent of the data goes through equinix um data centers in the us i believe some something like that along those lines correct me if I'm yeah wrong. but equinix is your customers so i guess they bloody need you for their scalability so how does that so what do you do for them enable uh, in order to be able to or enable Equinix to handle this like incredible amount of data? We can't even imagine how much data it is like at the moment. How much data is it? How much data is it? And, and what do you need Patrick, you to do so it fucking runs? Because it actually seems that you guys are running the internet and not Equinix. You're running the internet for Equinix. <laughs> I, you know, boy, uh, no, that's conspiratorial. You know, it's like, no. wait a minute, <laughs> you really no. are Q. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm being, I'm being really simple here because, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think you're talking in terms of like when you say like who's running the internet. Equinix is 
is a provider that, you know, think of it as like the electric company and, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're providing the conduit. And, but I think the reason Equinix is such a huge footprint is because they run data centers for Amazon <laughs> and a lot of other providers as well. They just do it really good. If you go to Northern Virginia, that's like, that's, that might as well be, you know, another state called Equinix. <laughs> um, but, you know, for, for what we do for Equinix is we provide a database for them that will scale up to whatever their customer needs are. And um, we're not really running the internet, but we are a really, I mean, Apache Cassandra and then by, by that data stacks, we're really happy to be a part of some of those big scale things because that's what it was built to do. So if you think like, hey, here's a fun statistic, if or, or a fun thing to think about, every time you pick up a phone, you're using Cassandra. I don't care what phone you're using. Okay, uh, why, why is that? Just because all of the all the providers in the world, like Apple, Huawei, um, a lot of uh, providers around the Android ecosystem, all use Cassandra as their storage, their database storage, mm -hmm. and. So for instance, um, there's been some great uh, presentations by the iCloud team. So every time you store something on iCloud, it goes into Cassandra. Mm -hmm. Huawei, same thing. Every time you store something on a Huawei phone, it goes into so, iCloud. So, so, this means, so this means every day I somehow get in touch with you guys for some way or another. I, I'm going to disambiguate. They're not all DataSex customers, but you are using Apache Cassandra. So you're touching the community of Apache Cassandra. And it's really cool. Thank you for being a member. <laughs> uh, yeah, Without so even knowing. Um, okay, so I'm going to change my I'm, I'm going to change my LinkedIn profile now to member of Apache, Apache Cassandra. Cassandra community. Yes, you yeah, should say you know, that. contributing you member. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everyone contributes. Um, and you know, it's it's companies like Spotify and you know Yelp and you know they all use Cassandra for the same reason. So you know, it's it's. As just as much as like Cisco sells routers, we're selling databases that make all that cool stuff happen. Mm -hmm. We're not making that stuff happen. We're just helping those others make. You give the platform theirs. to make it happen. It's like yeah, you, you're the Garden of Eden, and people just come and plant their trees, and but they're in your garden. And we're pretty excited that it's an awesome tree. Yeah, <laughs> I personally benefit from the fact that Apache Cassandra is awesome because you know I have an iPhone. I use Spotify every single day. You know, I use Netflix most days. So <laughs> not doing not doing working hours. Uh, not doing it during the appropriate time. Yes, <laughs> of course, of course. What, yeah, what are you watching currently? What, 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 what's your, what's your, yeah, what's your? Topic? What's, oh, I'm actually I'm, I'm watching a, on Apple TV. There's a For All Mankind. Mm. That's a really cool show. I, I I got way behind, so I'm binge watching. I need to get through season two because apparently it's cool. Okay. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what is the future of open source? You know, that's a great question because I think most people would say, oh, it's doomed because of the cloud, and no. I think this is this is just a bad time for open source. And so like just to catch everyone up who's probably doesn't know all the stories is that open source, because it's free as in freedom, um, cloud providers can pick it up and provide it as a service pretty easily. And they don't have to pay anybody to do it. Mm -hmm. it this, this is something that's caused a lot of trouble with, with projects. They're like, wait. And there's been, you know, these... Uh, articles, there's been conversation around, oh, open source is being strip mined by the clouds, like Amazon's and Microsoft's and the Google's, right? But, you know, and I, I think, well, that's the way we designed this is to be used. And um, 
if the contribution and the contribution level isn't high enough, well, that's just what we need to work out. But as a result, a lot of companies, especially projects, uh, companies that own projects are changing their open source license to something way more restrictive. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this is a, a trend we're going to see for a while. But the future, I think, really is it's going to swing back because we're, you know, and I, I love doing this talk track because I think it I, I'm helping make it happen. But I think it's also super disruptive is Kubernetes, you know, being able to deploy virtual data centers of what you need to build your application using open source tools that are free as in freedom, free as in beer. Um, that's going to take back that cloud problem because clouds are getting down to the point where they're just, you know, when we start, first started doing cloud, they said, oh, it'll all be commodity, you know, but the commodity that they sell is compute, network, and storage. And, you know, that's what they should be selling. Mm-hmm. They just got a little busy selling other things like databases and CICD mm-hmm. tools and all these like gadgets. Mm-hmm. But why do they sell you those gadgets? So you just use more more compute network and storage. And yeah, it's upselling, classical upselling in, 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 in a certain sense, isn't it? It is. And to kind of bring it back to something you said earlier, it's because they need to pay Equinix who built all that stuff, you know, because it's not cheap. I mean, that's a billion dollar club to build a data center. Yeah. So you, and to recoup, then the cost that they need to recoup is on compute network and storage, not on um, some gadget, like the upsell gadget they put on it. So if we start mm-hmm. seeing like organizations feeling like I the every cloud provider is just a commodity play of compute network and storage. They can like all the things you could do with that. Like if I am like, if Google's not giving me the best price for what I want, then I could just move over to Amazon and get a better deal. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and again, and again, data stacks allows you to, to do that because you're, 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 you're multi-cloud, right? We're just agnostic. You know, any yeah. cloud, anytime. Yeah. Any, it, so you don't any have any form. favorites. Any you cloud, don't have any time. So, but, so, I think you once said, I, 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 I watched some interviews where you once said, like, uh, we help our customers uh, to have their data everywhere they want or something along those lines. So for sure. Yeah. So in terms of like to make it like really, really concrete, um, have you ever had a customer said, buddy, in order for uh, you to use uh, data stacks, you seriously need to uh, rethink your, your cloud strategy? Uh, or 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 um, or will you even go along with a customer who has like I don't know like everything on premise still or uh, you know a one cloud approach or something that is like yeah quite on premise is still a thing and yeah. actually there's there's much bigger footprints still on prem you know when you look at those cloud growth numbers that are out yeah. there where is it growing from well because. And back to Equinix. Why does it always go back to Equinix? You know, they're probably renting space on Equinix. Yeah. Um, but the on-prem is still massive. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. incredibly huge. And you think about the big companies out there that like are pretty not cloud. Um, you know, I think of like uh, FedEx has talked about that a few times. And I don't mm-hmm. know how much cloud Apple uses, but, you know, they they talk about their own data centers that they build. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's... there's uh, plenty of that going on facebook they they don't use cloud they they build their own data centers so um it's still a thing but it shouldn't matter wherever you can provide compute network and storage mm-hmm. you know at some reasonable whatever cost you're willing to pay for it we, we'll run on it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so what, what what's what's what, what's what's driving where are we driving to in terms of you know on-prem versus cloud edge versus uh 
centralization, open source versus, um, well, uh, hyperscalers uh, and restrictions. Where, where do you see us in five years? Where's the, where's the pendulum going to be? I think the pendulum is going to be really embracing this freeze and freedom mm. as what it should be. It's like if I need, if I'm building an application that needs to be close to customers, I should be able to embrace edge with very little problem. And that, and that you could do that now, but it's a little bit of work. But what if I just want to, if I don't need an edge, but I want the exact same thing for just North America. Mm. Yeah, you can do that too. Have I we, want something for inside the firewall. You can do that too. Yeah. Have we made any progress in terms of, you know, uh, use cases for, for, for a patch? Not, not let's, let's be general, like for a patch and, and, uh, uh, Cassandra, like in terms of uh, IoT, uh, is there anything emerging you haven't seen like two years ago or even recently ago? Has the pandemic changed anything? Some some really cool stuff that you see. Oh, damn! I had I didn't have this on the radar at all. Well, you probably had everything on the radar because you you bounced <laughs> bounce signals to satellites and back. But, uh, yeah, yeah, get you ahead of the curve. No, there. Well, I think the thing that has surprised me more is just. And this has been in the past couple of years. It's just, just this massive unwillingness for new developers to even think about using a database. They don't mm -hmm. want to use a database. They want right. to use data services. They want to use an API. They yeah. don't even want to think about the underlying database, which I think is great. That yeah. seems like progress to me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. That was a big shift. It was a huge shift. And I think it's going to continue. Um, and it is mainly driven by like, what do people build applications now with? They do use like a, a mobile SDK, like, you know, maybe like Swift or they're using React or Angular. You can build a complete top to bottom app with React, mm -hmm. even for a mobile a mobile app because React uh, native runs on, on like um, iOS and on, on Android. Mm -hmm. And at no point do you really need to think about being a full stack developer where you, oh, I deployed a database with this. Mm -hmm. you know, so what's what's your role in all this as, um, uh, what's your title again? Sorry, the, the developer relationship. Yeah, I, I want to, I run developer relations, but, you know, as part of what that is, is is being able to take that, that desire for developers to just be, you know, productive yeah. and, make it right size. I, I am not going to tell someone to go use a database. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if someone says, how does a database like Cassandra work, all the internals, we can have, we can have that discussion over beers, but that's just not a focus I have anymore. Um, if you, if you really want to know, I can tell you, but that's, that's not going to make anybody productive. And I, I think that's, that's our main mission, you know, developer advocates now, especially data stacks, we're really trying to think like, how can developers get to where they want faster? Because ultimately, their success is what we're trying to help. Okay, cool. I, I think that's a great mission, and I'm sorry, but um... <laughs> no. Yes, well, that, that's 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 part of being on a podcast. It always has to come to a beautiful end at some point, because otherwise, our listeners don't want to hear more than this. Because, yep. um, dear listeners, unfortunately, you don't want to listen to us for more than thirty-eight minutes. I don't know why is that the fact, but something is wrong there with a minute thirty-eight. Um, I don't know did, how did the battery oh, was that data that found that? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. It's like we need to find some program to make this run smoother. But um, oh, I think it's incredible. But um, 
as you're also looking after the dev developers community, um, what would you like to say to the human community out there? Um, any favorite last words and advices? Oh, the human community is like, hey, let, let's get together in 2021 somewhere. I'd love to meet you for a beer. Where where are you? Let's look at that. Let's emerge from our shells. Um, well, yeah. Like, what is for you like um, looking at the IT sector, how it's developing? I mean, the last 12 months was probably a fast pace development that nobody expected. Um, what, what do you see happening over the next 12 months and what would you like to see and where do you think are the human's biggest challenges? And I'm going to leave it with a little cliffhanger and ask you the question, um, is AI going to outrun the humans? Okay, so I got to answer the one and leave a cliffhanger. All right, good. Uh, well, I think for we're not going to slow down. Um, I think the genie's out of the bottle. Uh, speed is the key and we've realized that, oh, Digital, that whole digital transformation thing was for real. And if you didn't do it, you're probably not around. You got a different job anyway. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think this is just the way we're going to keep going. And um, what about AI? Boy, uh, I'm not too, it doesn't keep me up at night thinking about robot overlords. <laughs> but, okay, well, forget about robot overlords. Are computers, are, are computers going to outsmart the humans? Because at the moment, we have a button, we press it, and the computer executes, right? Or it's some form automated and we can still interrupt the process, whatever it is. Is it going to yeah, it'll happen. Point? It'll happen. Yeah, it'll happen. The computers will tell us what to do. And they we won't have control. tell us what to do, whether or not we listen to them or not is another thing. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I think that'll happen. Yeah? Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm confident in that. You're confident, yeah? Mm -hmm. How far from today? Uh, probably farther than than most people want. I, the, the researchers, the AI researchers, are always like, it's next year. Um, yeah. But it will happen in our lifetime. Hmm. Okay, cool. Perfect. Amazing. Patrick? Thank you so much. Um, I, I, I guess I see you on Swift. We need to exchange our Swift details. Yes, uh, we do. <laughs> definitely. As we uh, go up Everest. <laughs> as we go up Everest. Yeah. That would be actually a sick episode. Um, the Everest sweat competition. Yeah, but um, without plastic, please. <laughs> no, without plastic. Kilometers. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, but, but let's see if we can bounce some Donkey Kong satellite signals um, off the Swift trainer uh, up the mountains. <laughs> Anyways, um, enough enough talk. Um, thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure. And you hope you all enjoyed this episode. And thank you. Take care and enjoy your beautiful day. Thanks. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. Bye.